There's a man going round taking names And he decides who to free and who to blame Everybody won't be treated all the same There'll be a golden ladder reaching down When the man comes around Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week's uh, novel is uh, the debut full-length novel from Frank Bill called Donnybrook. It's a quick little bit about Frank Bill if you've been living in a cave this last week. Um, Frank is the author of the story collection Crimes in Southern Indiana, which we reviewed here on Booked quite some time ago. One of GQ's favorite books of 2011, by the way, and a daily Beast Best debut of 2011. He lives and writes in Southern Indiana. Donnybrook is his first novel. You know what I like about that author bio? It was very uh, succinct. Succinct, to the point, very mm-hmm. brief. Mm-hmm. It gave all the good stuff. Agreed. Yeah, so Donnybrook, we've mentioned it before on the show, um, and uh, we're talking about it tonight. So here is the synopsis that we pulled from Amazon. The Donnybrook is a three-day bare-knuckle tournament held on a thousand-acre plot out in the sticks of southern Indiana. Twenty fighters, one wire fence ring, fight until only one man is left standing while a rowdy festival of onlookers, drunk and high on whatever's on offer, bet on the fights. Jarhead is a desperate man who'd do just about anything to feed his children. He's also the toughest fighter in southeastern Kentucky, and he's convinced that his ticket to a better life is one last fight with a cash prize so big it'll solve all his problems. Meanwhile, there's Chainsaw Angus, an undefeated master fighter who isn't too keen on getting his face punched anymore, so he and his sister Liz have started cooking meth. And they get in deep, so deep that Liz wants it all for herself, and she might just be ready to kill her brother for it. One more showdown to take place at the Donnybrook. As we travel through the backwoods to get to the Donnybrook, we meet a cast of nasty, ruined characters driven to all sorts of evil, all in the name of getting their fix. Drugs, violence, sex, money, honor. Donnybrook is exactly the fearless, explosive, amphetamine-fueled journey you'd expect from Frank Bill's first novel, and then some. So when I said earlier that unless you were asleep, um, this book has kind of exploded and is everywhere. As a matter of fact, earlier today, um, New York Times reviewed it. Yeah, they wanted to get it in before we got ours out there. I know, those bastards. It's always yeah. like that. there's always someone trying to like kind of one-up us on anything. But uh, So Frank was written up in uh, GQ, now the New York Times. Um, we knew him when he was just regular old Frank Bill, had one collection out. Uh, we were, we've been down to Corydon, Indiana uh, a couple of times and seen him down there. And uh, and now now I feel like we rubbed elbows with the celebrity a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. He's uh, he's on a good trajectory. He's writing articles and essays for like Playboy and uh, other prestigious like wait, wait, journals wait, wait. and stuff. Pl- Playboy has essays yeah yeah they do oh. huh okay. i mean i've heard i haven't read it yeah, but yeah they, they, they keep telling me that maybe that's the thing like maybe i should just start saying well yeah i wrote an article for playboy because yeah because know, nobody no. knows that yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> like I think paul and nick had like a story in there no one's ever read it but it, it was there i'm sure in between the you know the naked chicks yeah in um, between the naked chicks that sounds playboy. cool yeah. Oh, oh! I got it. I see. I see what yeah. you did there. Got it. Okay. Um, so, uh, Donnybrook. Do you know what a Donnybrook actually is? Uh, yeah, actually, um, 
in the, it's funny that you say it just like that because um, for anybody who listened to our previous episode, we said that uh, Frank Bill was doing some readings and stuff in and around the Chicagoland area as well as other places. And I ended up going to the one that he had going on in Milwaukee. And one of the first things he did before he started reading was he asked if everybody knew what a Donnybrook was. And uh, when he didn't get enough of a yes answer, he actually read the definition for us. There you go. A scene of uproar and disorder. Also um, named that after a suburb of Dublin that apparently is uh, noted for its brawls and ruckuses and... Yeah, the history, the historical uh, thing is that I guess there was a Donnybrook Fair in Ireland, and um, it kind of, over the years, gained a reputation for being uh, a little boisterous, lots of drinking, and um, lots of fighting going on to the point where um, I think that, I can't remember the quote, there's a quote in the book that explains it in detail, but they say something about how uh, the people at Donnybrook would rather fight than eat, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't ever get to go do fun stuff like that. Yeah. Go into giant brawls? Do you want to? No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't want to go anywhere really. But I was yeah. just trying to say that we don't get to do fun stuff like that. Um, I, <laughs> I do you think this kind of thing goes on? I mean, I know you hear about like these underground fight club kind of things, but do you think there's actually big gatherings where this is a big deal that isn't like a sponsored, um, what's that, a MMA type thing? Oh, I don't know. Like, I'm probably going to out myself as being, like, you know, very not underground, but I have no idea. Um, I I have no clue. It sounds like, you know, I I have to imagine there's a market for it because any kind of, like, gambling and stuff, like, I mean, it would just be, like, dog fights but with people, right? (laughs) I didn't think of it. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it would be. (laughs) Right. Um, at any rate, the concept of a, so I grew up on professional wrestling. Okay. So a concept of like this giant battle Royale of like guys, you know, just bare knuckles brawling and the, the structure, I don't think was really fair in, in the, in the synopsis to really explain what this is. It's multiple fights. Um, you know, one guy left standing at each of them. And then I think it was like six or something the last day, um, all, you know, get into a ring together till it's one man standing. It was just like the coolest concept. So the second I kind of understood really what the Donnybrook was, I was totally sucked in. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's like, uh, well, it is like March Madness right now. So it'd kind of be like a bracket, right? I don't know anything about it. I just wanted to say that because it's like what everybody I know says right now. Like, oh, my bracket something, my bracket something. But um, yeah, it's like multiple uh, like rounds of elimination and mm-hmm. each yeah each of the winners goes on like olivia said yeah yeah so it's uh it's very cool the book starts off so back up a little bit starts off with uh, as it said in the uh synopsis with a guy named jarhead um not his given birth name but he's nicknamed that uh for his uh for his father who um pulls off a a, a kind of a weird robbery he, he robs somebody but he only takes a very specific amount of money and leaves everything else behind. And we find out that the Jarhead is uh, going to use this money to buy his uh, his spot in the Donnybrook. Every every uh, fighter that had that fights has to pay up a thousand dollars as a entrance fee to the Donnybrook. Yeah, I, I, the the thing I liked about that robbery, and it really kind of informs you on how clever the book um, is going to have the you know the ability to get to is. Uh, Jarhead goes into a gun shop to buy a, a gun, and um, in the process of 
going through the purchase, he's holding the gun and he pulls out ammunition that he brought with him and loads the gun and then robs the gun store owner at gunpoint with the gun he was going to buy. Yep. <laughs> Just Here, hilarious. Here's the kind of funny part about this book. <laughs> Let me explain something to you. This book has a huge cast of characters. I'm sure we're only going to touch on on you know small percentage of them, and we're probably not going to get very deep in the story because the story gets uh, spoilable probably you know, 50, 60 pages in already. Um, Jarhead, the guy who who's opening you know couple paragraph scenes, whatever, robs the store. He's the closest thing we're going to have to a protagonist is a guy who steals money from a gun store. Right. There's... Um... Are you saying because it's such a big cast or because there's so few likable characters or both? Um, both. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of characters. So I'd say there's probably, if I really just from memory now without looking at notes, I'd say there's probably five or six like main characters. And not one of them is has, is 100% redeemable. No, you know, yeah. I said Jarhead, the closest one, he starts off by robbing a place. <laughs> like, you know? Yep. So yeah. There's no knight in shining armor in this book. Everybody is... is uh, is a little tainted, some more than others, you know, and everybody has a motivation for, for getting to the Donnybrook or to participating in the Donnybrook. But yeah, all of them are just kind of, kind of bad people. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's something that's a good thing to, to kind of, uh, not warn, but inform a potential reader about this book is at the beginning, um, it's a lot of introducing you to new people. So, um, it takes a while before, you know, things settle a little bit and you get the idea of who are going to be the big players in the book. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of people being thrown at you in the beginning and um, it's a lot of stuff to take in. But it's still, I mean, it's not like it's like I stopped reading Stephen King books because I was like, I don't want to spend 120 pages just being introduced to characters and not caring what's going on. Like he introduces characters and, and he gives you good, rich story while he's doing it. Without a doubt, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the characters. And, and I want to be, there's so many things I want to talk about in this. And, and uh, you know, early on, do you remember when we used to talk about, like, maybe we should have, like, the spoiler-free episode and then the spoiler episode? Like, yeah, where we yeah. could actually talk. Like, I, I want to talk about this book. <laughs> so I'm going to try to keep it, though, as spoiler-free as, as, uh, as I can. Um, one of the other big characters, uh, as named in the, in the synopsis, is Chainsaw Angus, who... Um, was a you know brawler fighter uh, that people bet on and that type of thing who was completely undefeated he he defeated another guy who was undefeated he's that kind of guy but he's totally off the fighting now um, for money at least and has just turned to, to cooking and selling meth with his sister yeah so there's some of the characters that are that are uh, introduced early on as well uh, not people that you typically would like and um, really the beginning Liz, <laughs> is the name of his sister she starts out being hmm well let me let me just go ahead and read your note because rob did very detailed <laughs> character notes not just little one-liners it says total crook and a slut yeah <laughs> and that pretty much sums it up yeah uh <laughs> she's yeah not very redeemable she's she's just um really all you're seeing her in is like the commission of crimes and um really kind of sexually deviant kind of weird messed up acts did you have um? Did you get right away? Did I miss that they were brother and sister right away, or did they did that not come really come through for like a couple chapters? That no, yeah, that was not obvious. Um, right off the bat, you thought that like, um, 
I, well, the only clue you had was like she wasn't like sexually suggestive toward him, but she was for pretty much any other dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's like I thought like it was just kind of this weird thing where like this is this uh, this woman that he runs around with, you know, and she just has sex with everybody. But like so there's that scene where he's talking about her. Angus is kind of in, you know, talking about how she had sex with these two brothers constantly. <laughs> and I was like, this is so, like the weirdest relationship. But yeah, it's a. Uh, it's an interesting relationship between the two, and um, I, you know, I've only ever once do I remember seeing like a brother sister relationship in like a crime type thing, and it was in a, a movie I saw not that long ago. It just doesn't seem like it. Always seems like it's the guy with his girl, and it's not. It's family members, you know. It's either like a big group, or it's like two brothers. It very rarely seems to be like a brother sister kind of crime duo. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Um, or if they are just a brother and sister, it's we're seeing the story of them in a specific instance, but typically part mm-hmm. of a bigger, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like this is a snapshot of one instance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I haven't even thought about that, but like the <laughs> maybe maybe the reason that it, it seems a little off is because they're not the closest of brothers and sisters. They they are they're partners in crime, but it seems like their relationship doesn't really go much farther than that. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, yeah. every crime novel has to have a police officer. Waylon is a police officer. He is a uh, he's pursuing um, Angus and and uh, and Liz primarily, but there's some other things that happen later in the book that he gets involved with as well. Um, there's a character. All right, so the character I'd like to talk about. Uh, there's a couple character. All right, so before I go on, I just want to say that uh, this being. Having my having read Crimes in Southern Indiana, knowing Frank Bill and the type of other Southern style crime books that he's put up against, it's very easy to just expect certain types of character in a book and not look for anything deeper or different. And um, there, there's a character he introduced in this book that I was not expecting and um, was very refreshing. Uh, there's a character called Purcell uh, who shows up at a certain part in the book, and um, I. I'm not going to say why he's so special, but um, he's different than the other characters in as much as like he sees himself as being a part of something like he sees himself as as being needed to, to affect a certain outcome of something. So he's not he's not really in anything for personal drive or addiction or greed or you know any kind of his own feelings he feels like he's doing what he does in this story because it's his purpose and it's it's really interesting and and different from all the other characters uh it's funny because i agree with you 100 percent um not just in the purcell character um but in this other character so here's the thing so we've read a lot of crime books and uh, all the crime books we've read on the show and i've really thought about this um had uh black folks and white folks, and that's it. I'm being, am I? Did, am I wrong? I mean, all no, of them. Pretty have been, that's pretty yeah, fair. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of like one Q84, but that actually took place in Asia. <laughs> so there were no white people or black people. Um, the the other character I'd like to talk about that I think was a was a departure from what I expected this to be a very kind of standard crime novel. You know, is a uh, Fu, who is a an Asian gentleman who uh, is a. Uh, not to give away too much. At any rate, he's he's collecting a debt. He works for somebody who's owed some money, so he is uh, also involved in this this kind of pursuit of of Angus and Liz. Uh, but he's uh, <laughs> 
saying I'm going to say this tongue in cheek, so he's like a goddamn ninja. Not exactly what you expect. <laughs> well, you know, he's all like, I'm going to punch you in your pressure point and you're not going to be able to move anymore for like a week. You know, that type of, of um, fighting, which I thought was super interesting to throw into everybody else who's either, you know, holding a gun or is bare knuckle brawling. You have this, uh, this, this martial artist, which is, you know, kind of a very different um, type of fighting from a book that's basically filled with fighters. Yeah. Fu, I love that character. Um, I liked the book all the way through, but as it got farther along and it deviated from where I thought it was going to go, mm-hmm. and it just ended up being kind of a larger story than I was expecting, I just started falling in love with these characters, and Fu, I just thought, was just just excellent. Yeah, and that's, you know, I said early on, like, you know, I, I one, a couple chapters in when I've really got this this vision of what the Donnybrook is, I'm like, this is awesome. And now I can see that this, you know, kind of already big cast of characters developed over the first, you know, say 50, 60, 70 pages. I, I can see that they're all going, it's all going to culminate at this Donnybrook thing. But yeah, then you throw in a, a, a wrench with the Purcell guy that you mentioned. And then you throw in this Foo guy, you know, a little later into the book. He's not, he doesn't pop up right away. Um, and what you've got is something really different. It's no longer, you know, just a really intriguing book about, you know, doing the air quotes, you know, fight club, you know, in, in southern Indiana. It's uh, it, it turns into a whole different thing. Yeah, because, I mean, honestly, what I expected and it wasn't something I was expecting in a disappointed way was you've got a bunch of these big brawler types. Obviously, the the goal is to get to the Donnybrook, and a bunch of shit's going to go down. A lot of fighting and, and violence. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's pretty much what the story's going to be. There's not really any redeemable characters, so I'm not looking for like some happy ending or anything. Um, so that's pretty much what I expected from the book. But yeah, like you're saying, when he added these other elements in, it's like, whoa, hey, this is pretty crazy. And, and yeah, but like in a really really cool way. Um, you notice that Rob and I are talking in circles. Uh, I'm probably going to elaborate a little more during my wrap up as I've been kind of thinking about this book for, for, you know, for a few days now, but, uh, there, there is a whole cast of other characters. There's Belmont McGill. Of course, he's the very typical bad guy that runs the Donnybrook that exploits everybody for what he can get out of them. Uh, you've got a couple other interesting characters that pop up. One's named Gravel, who's a very mysterious character, uh, um, that, that, you know, shows up and is a very integral part of the story, although he's not a huge, huge, you know, like he's not in it constantly. And then you've got these other guys. Have <laughs> you noticed lately that we always get, there's always like those couple guys that, that are just so goddamn hilarious. I know it's like exactly a comic relief. Yeah. So I don't, I, I'm sure if I went through my highlights, I could find their names, but there's these. You're talking like, about Elbow and uh, Yeah, Pete, Dodge. Elbow, and what was the other one's name? Dodge. Dodge, yeah. So you get these guys that just, you know, bring a little bit of comic relief. And it's only funny because we're on this side of it. You know, being involved in any of these situations, none of this book is funny at all. You know, but but kicking back and reading this on your Kindle, you know, they do provide a little bit of a kind of like a what the fuck feel to the book, too. Like, yeah. what, what, what just happened with these guys? So yeah, uh, that's all really I think we say about characters. And that's not all the characters. There are others. Rob still has, I think, three or four listed out that I didn't even mention. Yeah, and that's just the ones. There, there's other ones too that I deleted off the list because I realized it just wasn't necessary to, to talk about everybody. But um, mm-hmm. it's a huge cast, and really, what it goes down to. And as we've been talking about this, I've been thinking about how I would very succinctly explain it to to, to someone, and it would be that like 
there are some events that take place in the beginning of the book which set all of these different characters going in the same direction but for different reasons and it culminates at the Donnybrook um, where all these people just kind of you know arrive and do what it is they're there to do but like yeah it's it's interesting to see how he kind of threads everything together yeah it's kind of like dominoes in a way yeah oh yeah yeah one one choice that seems kind of like random and inconsequential in the moment sets off just everything basically yep yeah we done talking about the story I think, yeah, without spoiling. I, I think I think you and I are going to go on talking about the story after we're done recording. <laughs> but um. uh, favorite character in the book? That's yeah, probably a loaded question, right? I'll give you mine, and then this is the reason I asked it. Mm-hmm. The character we probably can't really talk about very much at all because mm-hmm. the whole character is basically a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, Gravel. I loved the character and the emotional kind of resonance of what happens with the Gravel character. I mentioned him as very mysterious and I that's kind of what I because it's kind of how he's introduced and you know slowly you know some things come about about him but yeah it's it was uh it was just another great thing about this book yeah. like 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 I don't know that that was really that necessary but it really added something yeah that makes exactly. sense yeah. so I you know we could have done without the, the that storyline this would have been a, still been a great story but it was just an added an added bonus to have that in there yeah yep 100 agree you want to do some quotes yes i have plenty of quotes um let me kick it off yes please so getting hitting (laughs) hitting the ground running with the violence that frank bill i guess is apparently known for um this is the first i believe chapter it is definitely the first chapter the man's flesh was charcoaled jelly Flat, which is the name of her character, dragged him from the house screaming, dropped him in the yard where he now lay with his arms spread like a deity next to a rusted tricycle. Swing set with no slide, no swings. Memories long abandoned. Smoke erupted from the flames behind them. Yellow and orange opened the night and devoured the old house. That is the Frank Bill style. Mm-hmm. I would have to agree. Um, my first quote is also from very early in the book. This is a five percent in um shane rushed to the back now i want to explain that uh this is the introduction to shane basically so shane has not been in any kind of fight or anything shane rushed to the back his right eye wandered in its socket like a fly being chased and swatted at yep (laughs) what a great visual that is uh really quick one um this is a perspective from one of the characters. I'm not going to say which character it is, just so that it's not spoilery based on other things we've said about the character. I'm going to be as cryptic as possible with this, but uh, the American way has expired, been lost somewhere. Now it seems to work in the U.S. just meant you were a number trying to make big numbers for the men above you, and if you couldn't do it, there was another number that could. Yep. Um, this one isn't a quote. I just want to say that... Uh, Someone is uh, is driving this book a Ford Galaxy. That's the first car I remember my parents having this big ass tank <laughs> car. So anyway, I highlighted that just as I mentioned. But um, <laughs> this next one is just a great a great character description. Ned Ned, who we didn't mention, it is fairly important. He kind of gets involved in the the Liz Angus saga. 
Um, this kind of a description of, gives you an idea of Ned. It says, Ned had stopped listening when he heard the word tail. When Ned wasn't using his fist or inhaling crank, he was buried asshole deep in snatch. Sloppy Joe big or tweak starved thin, he liked them all. His pupils expanded with excitement. His pupils expanded with excitement. He asked what the tail looked like. <laughs> oh, Ned. So uh, here's a little bit. This is uh, Jarhead at, at one point in the book, and Jarhead was the guy in the beginning who robbed the gun store. Uh kind of falls in line with some people along his trip to the Donnybrook. And um, these are characters we didn't mention. One's named Alonzo, and I think the other one is Tig uh, or something like that. And um, in, in repayment for something that he helped them with, they offer him an underage prostitute, mm-hmm. which he is just horrified by because he's like actually a dedicated you know, family man. He's got a uh, girlfriend and kids, and he's very loyal to them. And he does not like the idea of hooking up with underage girls um and so he's rejecting her you know very very strenuously and at one point i this just the term she uses just totally got me uh this is her response to him she touched a leather brace on her leg fingered the metal is it because of a noodle leg no worry i can take you some places that girl of yours never has oh the noodle leg noodle leg dude I've never heard of anybody say my noodle leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, just totally got me. Um, there's a part, and this isn't a quote so much, but it really occurred to me. And um, you know, Rob, do you watch? You you don't watch Breaking Bad, do you? Nope. There's a part um, where there's some description of the the process to make meth, and uh, it occurred to me that it, it's just fascinating. Because it's a drug that you know that can everyone's familiar with, but it can be made with stuff you like pick up, you know, for the most part, you know, from like a hardware store, or a grocery store, and that type of thing. I just kept thinking how many thousands of amazing stories they're probably like real life stories they are about the meth business. But uh, it, it was just like further getting an education on meth reading, uh, at least early on in this book. So that's not a quote. I just wanted to to, to mention yeah, that definitely. as I was going through. It kind of took me back to reading Dermaphoria by Craig Clevenger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Here's a quick quote. Uh, uh, perspective from one character to another about Donnybrook. Um, Any man with two fists and something to prove knows about Belmont McGill's Donnybrook. The coin alone separates the pugilists from the wannabes. And then I'm just going to throw another quick one on there that has uh, a lot to I mean, it just ties in with the Donnybrook definition that I just did. And um, it, it refers a little bit to what I said earlier. Um, this is there's just shits going down at the Donnybrook, and things are getting out of control. Surrounding mouths shouted, "You see a head, hit it! You see a head, hit it!" Over and over. That is the something I would never ever want to be in the middle of. By the way, no, that's a uh, whack a mole. Yeah, right? isn't that basically yeah. no. for people? <laughs> it's like dog fighting, but yeah. with people. <laughs> I did. I wasn't offensive, was it? Yeah, I liked that. No. <laughs> um, this is a scene. It's just uh, one character had been in a violent altercation with another. Wanted to see if he'd any fight in him, or if it was freckled about the flooring cabinets. Hey, that's our one. I had that one as well. Like nice. a more extended part of it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one more. Do you have more to, to do? I have a couple. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm gonna do my last one really quick. Uh, 
this is uh, Purcell, the character at one point, um, is arguing toward aligning uh, with another character in the book to do something. Purcell replied, ain't got time for your past philosophies on how one man wrongs another. Some dicks is crooked, others is straight, but they can all be used for fucking. <laughs> I was like, there is such wisdom in that weird, weird, weird quote. <laughs> this is very true. Um, I like, well, you'll, you'll understand why I like this one. Uh, he put it into reverse, backed up, put it into drive, took off down the road like a vampire anticipating nightfall. Wow, nice. Mm-hmm. That one must have got past me. I like that one. Um, this is uh, Purcell giving some words of wisdom um, to Jarhead. Purcell said, world's changed. Time has come when education, self-improvement don't matter. It's come back to a man's got to know what he's good at. Your history will either help or hinder. I just thought that was a a very short but very solid statement on, on you know the world around us. Yeah, I definitely dug the Purcell character. Yeah, I just wish we could talk more about him. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm just laughing. I just got to the notes I made on the on the scene with Elbow and Dodge. So (laughs) he'll say, "Have you okay? Have you ever heard the term what the shit like used?" Yes. Okay. I was trying to think if I had actually ever heard that, but it is prevalent um, throughout. It seemed like more like towards the latter part of the book. Mm Hmm. It was used a lot. I've just, you know, here we're we're all about like what the hell and what the fuck. But apparently, if you go further south, it's all what the shit. I'm gonna remember that next time we go down to Corridan, try and blend in a little bit. Yeah, I was just try to try to fit in. You gotta you gotta leave the Kangol at home if you're gonna fit in, buddy. No, that's not all right. Then I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna not bother. <laughs> um, I think this is another quote from Purcell. He. Uh, Nope, maybe it's not. He's involved in this conversation, though. Worst thing about making a living with your hands, you're always surrounded by lives being carved out by abuse. It's how they survive. Yep. So that's the last one I'm going to do. I've got a couple more, but I think I think the folks have gotten a, a good idea there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You ready to do a little bit of a wrap-up? I am. It's going to be so hard to keep it spoiler-free on why I like this so much. Oh, right. there's a spoiler already. I really like oh, the Oh, damn it. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Well, you might as well do it, because you already got started. All right. Um, to kind of recap a little bit, um, liked crimes in southern Indiana, uh, to be honest. And again, I'm not, I know what you, what you, when you were saying earlier that you don't mean it in a bad way. I was just I was expecting more of the same. Um, and uh, then I was like, man, there's like this great concept about this, this uh, elimination, cage match, elimination, fight you know, so there's one man standing and he wins a hundred thousand dollars and this is great. And I can see all these characters are heading there. And then wham, the brakes get put on and something kind of weird happens and you go, okay, this is kind of weird. You go a little farther and you kind of adjust to that. And then they introduce this character that, you know, just doesn't, foo doesn't, I don't want to say he doesn't belong, but he's just not, doesn't seem like the right fit at first for this type of book where it's a bunch of uh, brawling Southern folk. Uh, that you've got like this kind of like little Asian guy who shows up and, and has a job to do. So uh, it, it just becomes more and more interesting. Fu is a fantastic character. Um, Gravel is a fantastic character. Um, you've got Purcell, who's a fantastic character. You've got one guy who's really the only um, likable protagonist, but then there's like another character that throughout different parts of the book you kind of feel differently about. And it, it just wasn't the standard fare that I was expecting. Probably would have been okay with the standard fare. 
Um, but uh, Bill threw a wrench in the works there and, and just mucked up the whole, you know, the, the process that I was expecting, which is uh, in all likelihood, I think without those elements, this would have been a good book. Um, I think that he managed with those elements to really make it a great book. So I'm going to give this five stars. Boom. All right. Um, Oblivious always says, I don't know what I can add to what Rob already said. And pretty much that's what I'm going to say this time. Um, which in my mind now I think about it means you probably make me go first a lot. Uh, <laughs> but um, pretty much everything Livia said, uh, you thought you knew where it was going. Uh, it was all pointing in one direction. And then he just introduced these things, like you said, with the gravel character that maybe weren't really necessary, but they just kicked it up to that next level. Um, I liked Crimes in Southern Indiana a lot. So, yeah, like when Livia said I was expecting more of the same, I think we both were expecting more of the same in a way that we were looking forward to. Um, and he gave us more than that. And um, just like Livia said, that's just what makes it like a book that I knew I was going to enjoy the book, but I didn't know I was going to enjoy it this much. So um, I don't really have much more to say beyond that, except for he's uh, Frank Bill has been, you know, very vo vocal and obvious about the fact that he's writing a follow-up to Donnybrook. So um, the joy of having read this book is only kind of compounded by the fact that I know that at, at least in some way we probably will see these characters, you know, again in another book. So um, that's kind of beside the point. I pretty much agree with Livius on all fronts, and I'm going to give this a five-star reading as well. <clears throat> I know this is when we're usually done talking about the book, but I kind of want to address that. What you said... Um, the book's by no means like a cliffhanger ending or anything like that, but you definitely see that the plan is there to, to develop this story further. Mm -hmm. And like that almost adds to it. You know what I mean? Like it almost makes it better that, that he, he lets you know, like, Hey, we're not done. This yeah. is, you know, it's a good, it's a great standalone story, but there's more coming and it almost like increases your like for what you read by knowing that it's not done. If that makes sense. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I felt the so same I, way. I, I liked it even more. And, and you had actually told me before I finished reading it, you know, you'd said, hey, you know, he'd, he'd said at this uh, the re reading I was at, you know, that these, he's planning a, I don't necessarily know if it's going to be exactly a sequel, but but to continue on with some of these characters. And then I read the end of this book and I go, man, I'm, I am. I like the book more because I know there's more coming. Just, yep. Yeah. So, yeah. And to tie it all mm. together, um, I don't know exactly what kind of way this this ties in but if you listen to the reading that we recorded number episode 116 uh the noir at the bar in Corridon, where frank bill reads he reads something that he says is something he was writing for the follow-up to donnie brooks so uh unless it's like something that gets cut i have to imagine that 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 in some way ties into um donnie brook in some way that's pretty cool, cool. Or the follow-up to Donnybrook, obviously, duh. So earlier, Rob tells me that um, uh, he happened to notice that um, Frank Bill had a story. Um, well, I guess I should let you tell it. I don't know why I'm telling this. It's, it's totally your thing. <laughs> earlier today, I'm looking at Frank's website to uh, uh, just get some information. And I noticed, and I knew this, but I didn't really make the connection. I noticed that he's got a story in the Shotgun Honey uh, anthology, Both Barrels. So just on a whim, knowing we're going to talk about him later, and I want to have as much to talk about as possible, I uh, decided to check out this short story that he's got in that anthology. And it turns out um, that this story, The Jade Bounty, 
contains, and I don't, I'm not going to say how, but it contains a character that plays a very, very small part in Donnybrook. Uh, a couple of them, anyway. So, uh, if, uh, if you read that and liked it, you'd probably like to check it out and see how it ties in with Donnybrook as well. Well, I definitely know I'm doing that. And now I think I may have to like Google some Frank Bell short stories and see how many other ones are running around out there that are connected. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just totally not what I expected. So very, very happy with it. Yep. I think now we can be done talking about it. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's yeah. just go. Let's just go ahead and roll book news. Well, I got bad news about booked news. I don't know if people. Have, I mean, it's not the bad news. Like it's never happening again. So don't worry about that. But yeah, we haven't had one in a while, and um, and so I'm wondering why. And I know that you know we're not. We don't. It's not like we pay. It's not we have them on the payroll or anything. It's not like uh, Skip Paperly's making a living on book news or anything. So. I knew that this wasn't his only, you know, thing he had going on, but he does have a, a podcast that he does on his own. He co-hosts, and I'm assuming that's probably why we haven't seen much of him lately. What? He yeah. took the fame. He took the fame that we gave him on this podcast and spun it off into his own podcast. Is that what you're saying? <sighs> well, that's what I'm implying. <laughs> you really laid it out pretty bare, but... Um, God damn it, Skip Papersley. Yeah, so if you like the quirky kind of humor... That comes with uh, uh, the booked news, uh, and you don't mind being righteously offended, uh, offended, offended, <laughs> or offensed, or if you don't like, if you don't mind fencing. I'm sure at some point that probably comes up in his podcast as well. Mm-hmm. He does a podcast uh, with a guy named Gary Butterfield, and it's called the Pitch Podcast. Uh, the whole idea is they uh, call each other up and talk about these weird ideas that they've had. Um, and talk about how they could sell them to people, and it's it's a it's obviously a parody. These aren't things, hopefully at least, that are actually ever going to happen. But it's pretty entertaining, and they keep, they keep them short. They're always less than twenty minutes, or anywhere from you know ten to ten to fifteen minutes usually. Yeah, um, I was feigning surprise at knowing that he does. Uh, I did listen to a few episodes of the Pitch Podcast, and um, they are very entertaining. I will say that in that twenty minutes. I think more thought goes into 20 minutes of the pitch podcast than does in like a month of booked. <laughs> yeah. They definitely <laughs> planned it out a lot. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, it's just one after the other. I mean, it's, it's really something else. So definitely go check it out. Um, it is, it is a booked authorized podcast. We authorize you to go listen to that podcast. Yeah. There's not a lot of podcasts yeah. that have that stamp. So nope. um, like three. Yeah. I insist that you check it out. But anyway, um, I'm probably going to try and cajole him to spend more time on book to news, uh, and just, you know, maybe neglect a different part of his life. Yeah. Like he doesn't need to shower that often. Yeah. It's not like people can smell him over the internet. That's true. That's true. Smell o vision. Let's not, maybe that could be, that would, that would be something that would be on the pitch podcast. Um, we'd probably have to ask uh, David James Keaton specifically for the history of this, but I do believe that like smellovision was something that was like introduced probably like in the '60s as like a tactic in film theaters, where during parts of the movie you'd be able to smell something that was like they'd pipe in air that smelled really? like whatever was going on, on the screen. Yeah, like bacon or something. Uh, it was only ever bacon. Yeah. 
That's why I was so unsuccessful. Because the movies that smell like bacon, like where you have to have a bacon smelling scene, just aren't that good. Yeah. So it's always like <laughs> so many movies during that era. So many movies had someone cooking breakfast. It was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the 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 pita people, they you know, they protested. Yeah. Yeah. So they're all about those pigs. Speaking of podcasts that I like, so last week this is actually kind of humorous. Last week, you know, we're we're talking about uh, Brian Evanson and the Rob Zombie book, um, Lords of Salem. Can, Lords of Salem, it's just hilarious. So you were talking, we're like, hey, it's a horror book. We like those guys at This Is Horror. You know what? We should do a cross thing where we review. So we basically drag them into this, and it never occurred to either one of us, like, hey, maybe we should shoot them an email, <laughs> like saying. Hey, just so you know, we're kind of interested in doing this. And oh yeah, we kind of talked about it on our podcast already. So a few days go by, and uh, Michael Wilson on uh, Facebook, he's the the head dude over at This Is Horror, um, posts like, "Hey, funny set of coincidences. I was gonna <laughs> like download, uh, you know, the the book podcast. They're they're talking about uh, Lords of Salem, something I'm really interested in. Wanted to hear what they thought about it. And Rob, who always way overdoes as far as I'm concerned. You guys should be thankful there's any kind of description of our episodes because if it was up to me, it would be the title of the episode is what would go on the page. Rob mentions in there that we kind of, while we're recording, decided that you know it was just going to be that we're going to do this crossover with them. So he winds up hearing it on our episode. Um, and uh, you know what? He's totally into it, which is so much better than if we had to like force him at gunpoint. Like We had to send like Craig Wallwork out to find him. Like strap him into a chair, like hold his eyelids open with like toothpicks, make him watch the movie, and then give us opinions like over Skype. Yeah. He's just totally down, which I think is perfectly awesome. Yeah, because there's no commission of a crime involved. That's always a positive. Yeah, I mean it makes for a less interesting story to to be, you know, quite honest. It's just going to be like he goes to see the movie, we go to see the movie, and then we get on Skype and talk about it. Well, which you is know, still what? Be really cool, when you run a website called This Is Horror, you have to expect that at some point someone's going to attack you. <laughs> someone's, oh, this is... <laughs> someone's going to abduct you and force you to do things against your will. Oh God, you're so into that that you're always hearing that 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 music that you know something bad is going to happen. Like you just hear it in your head, like constantly. You're, <laughs> you're the just waiting victim. for them. Yeah. So, so anyway, look look for that. Um, we're going to have to figure it out with these guys. Um, the movies do come uh, out a week apart between us and uh, and the United Kingdom, so we might be a little late on here for a movie review, but we're going to try to wrap that up into how it compared to the book, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to have some more wisdom from Brian Evanson at that point, who's supposed to be joining us on the show probably around the end of the month, um, you know, to, to share with you guys in correlation with the book and the movie and This Is Horror and our big podcast family. That's right. Speaking of Brian Evanson, just want to I I gave a shout out on Facebook, but um, Lords of Salem hit the New York Times bestseller list uh, sometime last week, very shortly after it was released. So I want to give him some congratulations on that. Um, I'm sure that we're going to be getting some similar news when the book anthology comes out. Yeah, yeah, and we'll see if Brian Evanson notices and mentions it on Facebook. <laughs> That's right. A little reciprocity, buddy. <sighs> yeah. Wow. And we're taking care of you right here, letting people know you're a New York Times bestselling author now. Yeah, that's right. Which, um, God, can you imagine how obnoxious we'd be if we had that title? <laughs> yeah, that would be, we would just bore the hell out of like pretty much everybody on the internet if we, uh, if we hit the New York Times bestsellers. It's a good thing that's not going to happen unless you guys make it. Yeah, it's totally possible. I mean, well, it doesn't take that much. So, some Rob Zombie and Brian Evanson wrote a book, big deal. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm going to go to that result source place and just have them buy a bunch of books so we hit that bestseller list. Yikes. Hey, speaking of our book, um, Richard Thomas is, uh, is uh, a contributor to the Booked Anthology. Um, we mentioned him last week in the Staring, in, staring Into the Abyss book that, um, <laughs> that was coming out. I almost said it. You almost, almost said Staring, staring Into the yeah. Abyss, yeah. Um, one thing we neglected to mention is that uh, Lit Reactor, whose the name has come up umpteen times on, on this show, but uh, Richard Thomas is going to be teaching a class there starting March 28th, which is just in a couple of days um, after you guys are hearing it, or pretty much the day of around, I don't know, whatever. any rate, it's called Trim the Fat. It's how to edit your fiction. Um, you're going to whittle down those great, you know, 15,000 word stories to about 1,500 words, because that's how Richard Thomas does it, I think. Um, but definitely a guy, uh, I was good. Before I even met Richard Thomas, before I did this podcast, I considered going to one of his classes um, that, that he was supposed to be uh, teaching, and it just kind of didn't work out. So uh, I'm not going to get in on this one, but definitely uh, from talking to Richard and spending oh, lots of hours in a van with him. Remember that, Rob? Yeah, um, yeah. of course. Um, it's a lot to be learned there. So he's a really bright guy, and if you are a writer that needs to learn a little bit about editing, I highly recommend you head over to litreactor.com and sign up for Trim the Fat. Yeah, definitely. We don't have to do it anymore because we spent seven out, well, like 15 hours in a van with mm-hmm. him, so we learned yeah. everything we needed to. But uh, for anybody who hasn't had the opportunity to have one of those van rides, definitely check this out. Well, here's the difference. In the van, we had to have our pants on. If you were doing this class online, you don't even have to wear pants. How much cooler would that be? That's true. I'm going to be pissed if if Richard hears this and comes back and he says, hey, pants were optional in the van. Or relieved. One of the <laughs> Something. There's going to be some type of emotion there. <laughs> yeah, there will be a spike in emotion. I'm not, which way, I'm not sure which way it's going to go, though. <laughs> right. And... Uh, Booked is going to be doing at least at least one other book review. So here's what our schedule looks like. Can I tell you what our schedule looks like, Rob? I don't know if you've actually looked at the calendar. I've been hinting yeah. around because I didn't want to actually say this to you. Um, we're going to read a book for next week, which we're going to talk about in a second. We're going to have an interlude week in which maybe we'll do some interviews or something. And then I think we're like six books in a row. Yeah, I'm seeing this. Um <laughs> I've been dropping hints online <laughs> because I didn't want it to be. Yeah, we're 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 very solidly booked for for a little while here. Booked um, is booked. Yeah, the only other thing, man, is we can have some kind of weird book cage match where someone falls off that list. But I was looking at it; it's like I don't want to not review any of these. Donnie booked. Boom. I hope I hope if Frank Bill was listening, oh. he turned it off after we said five stars. He just didn't listen to anything else we said after that. Oh no! But I just had the best idea ever. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm not gonna talk about it now, but I'm gonna flesh it out, and maybe we'll talk about it on an on an upcoming episode. <laughs> I know exactly where you're going. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I can't wait. Cannot right. wait. But before we get to all that insanity. <clears throat> Next week we have Therapist by Les Edgerton. Wait, are the are the authors punching each other in what you think I'm doing? Yes, they are. <sighs> All right, good. I'm sorry. Continue. That's okay. Therapist by Les Edgerton is our next book. That's right. Uh, okay. No, no, I'm sorry. No, you got that wrong. The title is The Rapist. It's about ra- a rap. Oh, like a rapping, oh, I got you. It's about a rapper who's in jail. Yeah. No, it's no. not. No. 
But these were names he could use. Less lesson and I had a little bit of an email back and forth um, before the rapist came out, and he had actually said to me that um, I believe it's his wife and where she works. Um, you know, she tells people, "Oh yeah, my husband's a writer," and they go, oh, "What do you write?" And he, she's like, "Oh, he wrote the bitch," and uh, right now he's got the rapist coming out. <laughs> <laughs> So I told him, I said, you know, just have it, have that whole, have your publisher do the whole title in lowercase letters and just don't leave a lot of space in there. And it could just be therapist and people could be really surprised when they open it up <laughs> and, and, and read this story. That'd be a nice. We were just surprised by Donnybrook, right? It was terrific. Yeah, so. yeah that's true. I don't know if the rapist is the kind of surprise you want. Dude, but see, here's the whole thing. The rapist <laughs> will never be an Oprah book of the month thing. But therapist, mm, you got a chance. It's true. So. You want yeah. to tell the folks what the... Oh, no, yeah, never mind. You already read a synopsis this episode. May I? May I go ahead and do this? Uh, yeah, go for it. Okay. The Rapist introduces us to Truman Ferris... that be Pinter? Pinter? It's going to be one of those two. We're going to have to figure that out. Pinter. An amoral man occupying a prison cell for a heinous crime committed years earlier. Master storyteller Les Edgerton guides us on a haunting journey inside the criminal mind to show that no matter how depraved a person appears to be, there might still exist a spark of humanity. And some beatboxing. Maybe a little beatboxing. Maybe a little uh, introspection. Um, I did notice that I think it's on the cover. And let me pull it up on the old iPad where I read books. Um, the cover. Yeah, on the cover, Alan Guthrie um, of Blasted Heath. There's a little quote from him on there that says, The rapist ranks right up there with Camus' The Stranger and Simonon's Dirty Snow, an instant modern classic. So uh, interesting. I mean, when you're comparing it to like big time classics with that, like that, I think that takes a little edge off of, uh, of the, the edgy title. Yeah, that could be. It's also a very disturbing image on the cover. Yeah, that kind of is, now that you mention it. We'll have to talk about that on our next episode when we review The Rapist by Les Edgerton. That's right. So uh, we got any more house cleaning or are we pretty much done? I think we're good. I think uh, people will have to wait for uh, for next week for anything else we've got. That's right. Like uh, a further exploration of what Donnie booked is going to include. I think so. <laughs> I'm so afraid right now because I can hear it in your voice that you are sold on whatever so this excited. is. <laughs> I don't care about the anthology anymore. I don't care about winning awards. I just want to make Donnie booked a reality. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, I'm Livia Sneddon. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Keep reading.